You're riding on the Denial Bus with Patty Crouch and Holly Gates. All right, guys. Holly, how are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, okay. <laughs> I feel bad going, I'm great in the middle of all this, but, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm, yeah. Uh, how are you, Patty? I mean, the same. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm great considering everything that's going on, you know? But I know, listeners, Holly hasn't been around for a while, and you've been hearing me do interviews by myself. However, it just did not feel right at all to do this next interview without her because this next interview is one of our good friends and our mutual good friends. And like we both know her and we both met her and we went to church together and did life together and it's been amazing. So it felt weird going, I'm going to interview you, but not have Holly on the podcast. So Thank you. thanks to technology, we are, we have Jen on the line. Jen. Hello. I am here. See, Colorado on the shed in Pasadena. And she's in, wait, are you in North Hollywood now? I am in North Hollywood, yes. See, we're all over the place. And yet technology has brought us together. So we are more than six feet social distancing. We are good. Anyways, okay. So the reason why we have Jen on the line is because she is a speech pathologist. Um, and with our kiddos, we always end up having tons of therapists in our lives. And one of the therapists we tend to have is our speech therapist. Um, I got to admit, yay. Yay. Yeah. Well, I got to admit you are Jackson's favorite. Like she, he always likes the speech therapist way more than he likes the physical therapist. It's, (laughs) it's like speech therapist and OT and then the physical therapist, the physical therapist he just usually hates, (laughs) but the speech therapist. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that kids tend to favor the speech therapist because we are really good at disguising what we want to work on and the overall objectives with fun games and activities versus when you're a physical therapist sometimes you just have to do those motor skills that kids don't really want to do or working on walking or things that are really difficult it's hard to disguise those a little bit more yeah you got the better deal because it always seems like play and I once had someone talk to me like what do they do I'm like that's the brilliant part of it is that on the outside you'd think they're just playing, but in the inside they're doing like everything. Like you're doing everything. Like it's a, it, it right. amazes me watching you guys work with Jackson because it's like you're doing everything with intentionality and like I'm like and you can catch out in a, a here and there, but especially in the beginning when he was like little guy, I was just like, it is just play, but it's not. But it looks right. like it is. Like it's phenomenal. <laughs> and I, I don't. I couldn't do it. Like I could not keep track because you don't always have like a pad and pencil in front of you. But you're like capturing what sounds he's making and then what he's struggling mm-hmm. with and like where he's going. And then you have an idea in your mind to try to lead him into this things and doing. I'm just like y'all are amazing because it does look like play to me. And I much rather take speech therapist than the physical therapist that makes him stretch. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for that validation. You know, I think having done this for so long, it really helps creating those situations that kids, you know, can't necessarily or don't necessarily realize as being work. You know, I have in my head all the different developmental milestones that a child should be able to do by a certain age. And so I can, you know, 
during a session be kind of evaluating the child each and every session to see how they're doing, if they've achieved those milestones yet, what we should work on, um, all the while being able to follow the child's lead, which I think is really important too. So a lot of my speech therapy for younger children is really um, child-led. So if a child is navigating towards, you know, a specific toy or a specific game, I'm going to use that toy because they've already shown motivation. And I'm going to use that toy to target the different um, objectives and goals that that child needs to work on. So instead of, um, you know, kind of having that battle the wits where I'm like, we are going to play this game and you are going to like it. Um, I'd rather start off with something where they're showing motivation, they're excited by it. So they're not going to realize the work involved because they're already um, interacting with the game and interacting with me um, because they enjoy it. So I'm very, you know, um, I gear my therapy a lot towards um, whatever a child shows interest in, and then they're more likely to do what I ask of them because really I can't make a child talk. You know, <laughs> when we're talking about physical therapists and some of the other um, professionals, really they can make a child, you know, move their legs by, you know, taking their hands, putting their hands on their legs and making them do it. But I can't necessarily make a child talk if they don't want to. So I really have to start off with the motivation in order to create opportunities where they're excited to talk and they want to learn because they're doing, they're doing something fun. Now, Jen, you and I were good friends before I had kids. Obviously we all were. Um, <laughs> remember those days? It's so nice having you as a friend because I ended up with two out of three kids who have speech therapy and speech yes. issues. So I love when you would volunteer to babysit, which was awesome, because I'm like, I'm getting free speech therapy. Because, <laughs> you know, even just babysitting, every time you're talking to them, I feel like you're doing your, like, magic speech therapy stuff, and nobody can even tell. <laughs> I and I'm know. Like, it's so hard. I feel like now, <laughs> even when I'm playing with, you know, my friend's children, I just automatically go into speech therapy mode. And how I'm playing, there's, you know, an overall objective or you know, I might, you know, reference a parent be like, remind me how old Johnny is. And then I'm like, all of a sudden in my head, like evaluating them. I'm like, no, I just need to play. <laughs> Do you ever mention to people who maybe haven't realized anything and, and you're just hanging out with them, not in an official capacity? Are you like, maybe you should get them tested? Or do you just leave it to their teachers and stuff to figure that out? <laughs> You know, I think that it is important to bring those things to um, a parent's attention. But obviously, mm -hmm. if I don't already have a rapport with that person, then I obviously have to be very gentle in how I go about it because people have varying feelings about needing additional support for their child or um, understanding whether or not their child is showing delays. So um, I might just kind of ask questions and kind of feel out a parent to see if they're ready to hear that kind of information. Or I might just give them suggestions like, oh, why don't you, you know, do this when you're playing with your child? Or, oh, why don't you do this? Or have you ever thought about this? Um, because it, for different people, there could be a stigma attached to it. So I want to be sensitive to their feelings and how they feel about getting additional support for their child. I'm more than happy to have that conversation with somebody if I can tell that they're open to it. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I, I know as like a parent, you don't want to hear your child is like, quote unquote, I don't want to say wrong. That's not the right word or different. Well, delayed. Or like delayed. Like, yeah. So I can see the sensitivity in that, but you walking in it with the sensitivity changes that whole conversation, you know? 
So how did yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. I, okay, I never heard the story. How did you find? Like, wh- when did you know you wanted to be a speech therapist? Like, how did you get into this journey of helping kids with their speech? Yeah, good question, I mean, Patty. I don't know this answer either. I know. I want to say it's not like you know I had experience with like a speech therapist as a child or. I knew somebody who was, and they became my role model. You know, I was in college as a freshman. Nobody really knows what they truly want to do. No. For some reason, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, um, not realizing how much schooling and work was involved. So, <laughs> um, you know, I started off as a biology major, and my first semester, I had a cellular molecular biology class, and they specifically told us that that class was used to weed out those who were serious about medicine and weren't, and um, I realized I wasn't and I um, went into it because I really enjoyed human anatomy and um, when I was um, confronted with this very small um, at the time major called communication disorders at the school um, I decided to take an introduction course and quickly realized that it was very uh, much who and what I wanted to do um, so it was a perfect balance of the human anatomy, but then also the therapeutic components, um, which I really w- gravitated towards. So being able to work with children and being able to see these, you know, huge changes in their lives and being able to communicate with the world around them, um, was just, it was a huge blessing to be able to find that, um, career early on. And so from undergrad, it went to grad school and then did my clinical fellowship year, which is all required for a licensed speech language pathologist. Um, and that's basically my education as of, you know, I think 13 years ago now, which is crazy to think that I've been doing it for so long. But um, so you've, yeah, been, so you've been doing it for 13 years. I've been, yeah, I've been a licensed um, speech therapist for 13 years. Prior to that, I, you know, had been like a speech assistant or a speech aide, which basically just means I'm working underneath of somebody else, but still getting experience um, with, you know, speech therapy um, in more of a um, setting in which I am being observed by a licensed speech therapist. So I have more than 13 years experience, but as far as being licensed, yes, it's been about 13 years at this point, which is just crazy. So you were just <laughs> finishing it when we met then. Like you must have been I, right towards the end of it all. I finished in 2007. So whoever wants to do it. the math. Well, yeah. the only reason that why... Right about- yeah, but the only reason why I know is I got married, and then we started the church plant. Like, Chris and I were freshly married, like, six weeks. So we got okay. married in 2008. So, oh, okay. So, so yeah, what's soon after? Yeah, like, you had probably just finished in, like, a, less than a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. So it's, it's been a while that I've known you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that, too. It's, like... It makes me feel old, but not old, but good, but like nice. Cause like I, like you, you get to a certain point, and your friends, like there can become your lifelong friends. You know, like it's not like the person in the playground that then you go to middle school and you have different, you know, interests, and then you don't see each other again. Anyways, whatever. I digress. Um, I digress. Okay, so what was my question? I'm gonna mark this down. So, Jen, you had you've had several different places you've worked since you started. You were with a private company, then a school district, then you went out on your own. So how do you feel about kind of the differences of those jobs? What did you like the most? 
Yeah. So my first job out of grad school, which I was at for about four years, um, was at a pretty large private practice, which gave me great experience because um, there were several other speech therapists. There were OTs, PTs, there was an MFT, there were behaviorists, there were different programs I was able to get familiar with and become more experienced with. Um, you know, I became trained in ABA, which is Applied Behavior Analysis, which a lot of children who um, are on the autism spectrum receive services from um, behavioral support. So I feel like it really grew my knowledge. Um, after that, I decided I wanted to try a different setting um, just for my experience sake. So I did go to a public school and was with a public school for about six years. And then um, about two and a half years ago, I started my own private practice. Um, which is Tiny Talk Speech Therapy. So um, I have had a lot of diverse experiences. And, you know, I think there, from a parent's point of view, I think there are probably pros and cons to everything. Um, you know, I obviously like being able to have control over how I run my business and how I do speech therapy now versus, you know, in other settings, you're working under somebody else. You might be dealing with bureaucracy of the school district or how somebody else wants something run. And um, so I, you know, at this point have had a lot of different trainings, a lot of different opportunities. So I know exactly what I think good therapy looks like. And so because I run the show, I'm able to make those decisions. Okay. Um, go ahead. So that leads me directly into my question. What does make good therapy? Like what as a parent? Okay. So with the school district, you kind of don't have a choice. Like who the campus district Who's on your site is on your site and who's they're going to go to, you know, sure. but when you're looking for a private kind of practices, like what should you look for in a good therapist? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of different ways I can answer that question. If we kind of back up and look at the differences between school speech therapy and private speech therapy, um, school speech therapy, obviously it's being funded by the government. So you're not paying. Um, some of the great things about school speech therapy is if your child has a difficult time with social skills or interacting with their peers, the speech therapist is able to support that on the school campus where they're going to be having those interactions. So that's a great opportunity for the speech therapist to um, have the child with other peers so that they can work on interactions in a controlled environment during like a small speech therapy session. The speech therapist also has the opportunity to interact with the teacher more. So they might pop into the classroom, see how the child is doing in class or talk to the teacher about academics, see if the child's generalizing some of those speech therapy skills to the um, classroom. So those are some great things about the school. Um, you know, when we're looking at private practice, obviously there is a fee associated with it. But the great thing about private practice is that sessions are one-on-one. -on -one. So I have the ability to um, get more practice out of a session, do more drills, more tri um, trials with a child for a specific goal than they would be able to in the school since the school is primarily um, group-based. So usually your child's going to be with a few other children, which, you know, obviously has its pros, but when a child is trying to make progress, sometimes it delays the process because it just takes longer when the child doesn't get as much practice during each session. Um, you know, I am able to interact more with the parents. A lot of times I will offer to the parents who sit in during the sessions because I really think that that's important. That's not standard for every speech therapist in a private practice setting. However, I want to equip 
parents as my primary objective. I want parents to know how I'm doing things and why I'm doing things so that then they feel comfortable doing it at home with their child. So I really want the parent to know um, how they can be working with their child because my goal is for the child to make as much progress as quickly as possible. And if a parent feels comfortable working on those goals and objectives with their child at home, that progress is going to happen quicker. So, it, you know, I think that there are benefits to both private setting and school-based setting. But if we're looking for um, progress, if we're looking for being able to find speech therapists that are specialized in certain areas, which you might need for your child, um, depending upon the areas of weakness, then those are more things that are going to be offered in a private practice setting versus in a school setting. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, and I have some more. Well, then Perfect. how, like, what should, I don't want to say what should your therapist do, but like, what are red flags of like, this is not going to be a good fit or this isn't a good therapist like should you be checking credentials should you be checking experience like does that make sense I don't know if that yeah I mean you if you didn't um come across a speech therapist based upon a referral from you know somebody you trust or from another um professional that you feel like would give a good recommendation then typically speech therapists for the most part have a website um, which states, you know, how long they've been practicing. Usually it um, lists different trainings that they've been to or different certificates that they hold in addition to their um, state licensure. So their website is a good place to kind of look. Sometimes there might be a Google review or some other information out there so that you can kind of get an idea. Um, some websites have information from parents um, as far as their experience with that speech therapist. So websites are definitely a good place to start. If you are looking for a speech therapist and you really don't have a basis of knowledge, you know, finding one in your area um, and just calling them and asking them questions about, you know, their areas of experience. Some speech therapists um, have, uh, have skills that are very specific to a certain area of speech and language and some are more general speech therapists where they feel comfortable in more areas. So having that um, initial conversation with a speech therapist so that you can get a good idea as far as if they're equipped to address the needs of your child would be really beneficial. What kind of specialties are there? I mean, so many. Um, it, it really depends on the speech therapist. Some speech therapists, I mean, as far as myself, um, I have gotten additional training in several different areas. So one area that I specialize in is um, AAC, which is alternative and augmentative communication. So I help support children who are nonverbal, meaning they don't speak verbally, or minimally verbal. So um, children who don't have that mode of communication, we potentially use um, like low tech, which might be a communication board that's on a piece of paper that has a lot of different pictures on it that represent different words. So when I'm, you know, working with a child, they might be using that communication board in order to communicate. Um, other communication devices would be something that's more high tech. So like an iPad that has like voice output. So it might have an app which there are countless amount of communication apps out there, but basically, um, once again, there are different um, square symbols, 
and they have a little picture of the symbol and then they have like the word underneath of it. So a child has the ability who can't speak verbally to communicate with other people through the use of this device. So they might be selecting a symbol for I and then they might be selecting a symbol for want and then another, another symbol for cookie and then they put them all together and the you know communication device will communicate I want cookie so you know there are also children who have motor difficulties so they use um, eye gaze technology where they can look at their communication device which is a special device for that and if they look at the symbol long enough then it will select it for them so there's a lot of different um, types wow. of AEC out there that are low tech you know or high tech so that's something that I work with a lot. Um, I'm also specialized in the area of apraxia of speech. So childhood apraxia of speech where a child, where there's basically a breakdown before, between what the brain wants to say and what the mouth is able to communicate. So um, it's basically a difficult, um, a good difficulty with motor planning. So I help support that child with motor movement and um, so that they can basically communicate what their brain or what they know they want to say um, and then it comes out more consistent and more correct um, so it's not the ability that they can't communicate it's that they have a difficult time with that motor planning from their brain down to their lips and it coming out correctly so there's a lot of different I mean those are two specific areas but there are a lot of different, um, you know, some speech therapists specialize in fluency, so stuttering. Um, there, you know, there are pediatric speech therapists, there are adult speech therapists. So, you know, I think that sometimes without having the knowledge of what we do, a lot of parents assume that we work on, you know, when um, Mary says wabbit instead of rabbit, so they can't say they're ours, or, um, you know, they stutter, but there's so many things that we do basically anything having to do with speech or you know language whether a child has difficulty understanding language or using language or understanding language in a social capacity all of those things are things that we help support i'll do it all so, yeah <laughs> we do we do it all that's why i'm tired all the time <laughs> yeah the question jen uh personal about nolan so my son nolan get speech therapy and everyone's always kind of shocked at first because he speaks great mm -hmm. and a lot and non <laughs> Um, but for him it's a receptive issue yeah. so he's not really like he has more of a listening issue I guess mm -hmm. how on earth do you work on that like what am I supposed to be doing yeah so and we want to also clarify um, when you say a listening difficulty it's not that he has a hearing issue. It's right. not that he can't right. hear what you're saying. It's more his comprehension of language. So a lot of times when a child has difficulty in the area of receptive language, we're looking at, um, they might have difficulty following directions. So there's like one step directions, which might be put on your shoes. There's two step directions, which might be like, um, get your shoes and go outside. There's three step directions that might be get your shoes, go outside and get in the car. So a child can have difficulty following directions. They might have difficulty answering a series of questions. So maybe yes and no questions are difficult for your child, or maybe WH questions like what, where, who, why, when. So anything having to do with your question, hearing information, and then in turn being able to process that information and answer or do something as a result might be that your child has a difficult time with comprehension or receptive language, like Holly mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. So what okay. do you? It explains how, so much. Then you just break it down. <laughs> you just break it down to like, let's ma- master one. Let's figure out one two, and then let's figure out one two three. Like you just break it. Yeah. So with with that, we look at okay. So for instance, let's take following directions, since that's you know mm-hmm. something that parents are very used to doing <laughs> with their child and instructing them to do something, and then either they follow through or they or they don't. And once again, we also have to take in consideration if this is a non-preferred task, then they might be a little less consistent with it, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not understanding. It means that they're not wanting to do it. Um, but something Mom, it's my receptive language. Exactly. It's acting up. Right. Laundry. Laundry is my non-preferred task. <laughs> right. If your child comes to you and says there's an issue with my receptive language, they're probably doing okay. <laughs> True. Um, But with that being said, you know, we would be looking at two different things to address that potential area of need. So we would be looking at starting them off with very simple directions. And when we're starting them off with simple directions, we can also look at how much support we're giving them. So it might be that in the beginning, we're giving them like visual prompts. So it might be that if I'm telling, you know, Johnny to put on his shoes, I'm pointing to the shoes. So I'm not only... um, I'm not only expecting him to use his comprehension skills, but now I'm also giving him some visual support that helps support the comprehension skills. So then, you know, once he kind of gets familiar with that, then I might give him the instruction without giving him that visual prompt or without showing him what I'm referring to. So we're basically reducing the amount of support that we're giving him. And then we can also look at increasing the amount of steps involved in the direction. So, there's kind of this like dance between um, giving support, but then taking it away as soon as you can so that they don't be, get mm-hmm. um, dependent on those cues or dependent on that support. And then in turn, we also want to increase the level of difficulty with the directive or with the targets so that once again, they are growing and they aren't just maintaining the skills that they have. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I can obviously talk about this all day, but (laughs) breaking it down, that's kind of something um, that would be easy for parents to understand because they know that they're having to give their child directions all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes children need a little bit of support in order to follow that direction. So Mm -hmm. being able to give them that visual support or being able to use like picture cues or different things to help support them in their understanding of that direction and then taking those things away to work on them understanding the direction or the language without having the additional support. It's good to be reminded of this too and like hear your side of it like oh there is like something missing there he does need that support because because he talks so well and Mm -hmm. nothing else is really going on I just get mad at him. When he's having his quote unquote listening issues. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then I have to remember that. Right. And yeah, it is, you know, sometimes when a child is very talkative and, you know, seems like there aren't any other issues there, it's a little bit more difficult to realize that there might be a, an area that just is a little bit more disguised or isn't as obvious. So being able to figure out, you know, what is an area of need versus, 
um, what is just, you know, my child being stubborn or having some behavioral issues or having a mind of its own, you know, those are the things that are really beneficial to figure out so that, you know, you're not frustrated by your child not following through, your child's not frustrated because he doesn't feel like he's equipped to do those things right now. Um, so yeah, all those things are really beneficial in order to reduce frustrations, increase, you know, follow through and your ability to, you know, support your child in whatever areas they might need support in that might not be as obvious as, like I was saying, you know, your child saying, um, wabbit or, you know, water instead of, you know, rabbit and water. So those are things that are a little bit more obvious and a little easier for someone without prior knowledge of how language works to figure out. I'm just like overwhelmed by everything you have to do. Like I'm it's, having this mad props for all these speech therapists because in my head I'm just like, dang, there's so much to it. Like I know there's so much to it, but mm-hmm. it's just like, wow, you're really working not only on like the expressive and actually saying rabbit instead of wabbit, but also mm-hmm. being able to do the one step directions and the expressive line as well as the receptive line as well as the fluency Mm -hmm. and how it comes out and how oh my goodness yeah well then we we also want to make sure that a child is able to socially interact with their peers so Mm -hmm. it might look like we're working on play but we are because play is very foundational to some of those later developing skills so we want to see is a child you know playing with another child or is the child simply playing next to the child but not interacting is a child able to initiate with another child or make eye contact or you know when we're looking at some older children um, and developmental schools skills we want to look at are they able to maintain a conversation are they able to stay on topic are they able to make appropriate comments or ask questions so these are all things socially that we need in order to interact with other peers or interact with adults so that's another really important component that we're looking at um, when we look at the overall umbrella of language. That's just crazy. You're, yeah. Am I blowing your mind right now? You kind of <laughs> are because I forget, like, there's just so many aspects to it. Like, I was, as, yeah, Holly was talking, as Holly was talking, I was like, oh, Jackson has somewhat of the opposite problem. Like, he's way more receptive than expressive. So he understands more than he can say you know uh-huh. so then there's this idea of like well what I like limit myself to is like thinking he doesn't understand when really he does and I should be pushing him more and then like what you just said about the play of like okay well I'm gonna start looking at like how is he playing with the girls because they have a really hard time playing with each other and part of me thinks mm-hmm. okay it's you know nine and then like you know three there's definitely different ways of playing <laughs> But also, but also going, okay, well, how can I help the girls help him to play and him help the girls play? Like, it's a lot. Like, the, one of the best things is our first speech therapist ever was um, Miss Deanna. And she was phenomenal because she's the one who said, look, it's going to look like I'm not doing anything. And it's going to look like I'm just playing. Because Jackson was 18 months, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. But then, like, she and she told me, it's like, it may not look like I'm doing anything, but I'm doing a lot because play is such an integral part of speech. Mm-hmm. And so we have to see how he plays and get him to a spot where he's playing so that he can learn all these other functions because it builds on top of each other and how how much it's a building block of it all. Like you mm-hmm. were saying with the Definitely. receptive, it's like, well, you can't do four-step commands if you can't do one. So you have to break it down and, like, 
work on it piece by piece to get it where it's going. But then now I'm realizing there's edges and there's like middle pieces and there's pieces <laughs> that have, oh, it's a lot. Yeah, the puzzle is growing in size as a child gets older. But yeah, I mean, on a note that is that, you know, when we're looking at working with young children, a lot of times we need to make sure that not a lot of times, all the time, we're focusing on a child's understanding of vocabulary because even when we're learning a new language, we have to understand the words that we're hearing before we can in turn use them. So mm-hmm. when we're exposing children to new vocabulary or new words, we're saying the word over and over and over again because we need them to learn that word before then before they could actually use it. So these are things that we almost take for granted because we don't remember learning new words except when it comes to a new language. So if you remember like Spanish class from high school, you had to hear those words over and over again before you felt comfortable saying them. Yeah. So it's the same thing for a child. They need to understand the words and they need to see how the word is used they need to see what we're labeling in order to then use that word not only um say it but then use it in a functional way so understanding that you know the pet is their dog and you know they don't point to pillow for dog or they don't point to the apple for dog but that thing over there that likes to lick me and that I pet that specifically is the dog so all of these things are really important when we're looking at language development and understanding that a child has to understand what they're hearing before they can in turn use those words. Wow. Okay. So what's your, like your favorite thing to teach or work on? Like you just, Oh gosh, that's such an interesting question that I've never been asked. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I really enjoy working with devices because I feel like, some of these children have so much more to say than their parents might mm-hmm. think. So, you know, a child who doesn't have the words that they can verbally communicate might solely depend on, you know, pointing to something or taking their parents' hand and bringing it to something. And then they're given their this device where they can basically formulate different sentences together And it opens up a whole new world for them. So I feel like that's, you know, super rewarding. That's something that I really enjoy, finding the right program for the child, finding the right device so that they can communicate their wants and needs more independently with the world around them. So I love doing that. Um, You know, working with um, young children when they're first kind of learning words is always really rewarding because, you know, I have parents come to me and they're super concerned because their child's not talking or they don't have very many words. And then, you know, fast forward to their child, you know, speaking incessantly and they're like, no, my child won't be quiet. And I'm like, you have, <laughs> you have to, you have to be careful what you wish for. I can give you one or the other. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's a great thing. And, you know, something that I really appreciate about my field is I love a good challenge and I love that working with the children that you know, whose parents go to other speech therapists and they just weren't able to figure their their child out or, you know, the child, the children that are a little bit more difficult to work with, those are the ones that I I love. I love to be able to, you know, help give um, parents answers that they previously didn't have and to work with these children that maybe aren't as obvious, um, but can make progress just as quickly as any other child because once you kind of figure out the modalities that they respond to or, you know, how their brain works or how, 
um, they see the world, then I feel like it just opens up all of these doors for them, which is just so great to see. Yeah, you talked about, you know, giving the kids the devices and then all of a sudden they have a way to communicate. And that is not just for the child, but that's such a gift for the parents. You know, definitely. It's like, okay, I I didn't even know my child because I didn't know Mm -hmm. anything they were thinking. I didn't know their personality. It's like, and then all of a sudden you've given them all of that. Um, Oh, definitely. I mean, not to mention the easy day-to-day stuff of, okay, now I know they want a cookie instead of just like going, what is it you want? Stop yelling. Oh my gosh. Right. It's also, you know, I think as parents, and I'm sure all of you can relate, it's you anticipate your child's need. So you know your child so well that you know when they're hungry, you know when they want to play mm-hmm. with their toy car. But everyone else that's going to be interacting with your child doesn't. So being able to give them something where they can initiate and they can say those things for themselves is so empowering for the child. And it also really leads to, you know, a lot of children, when they don't necessarily have a functional mode of communication, you see a lot of behaviors. So I, you know, Mm -hmm. work with children who, um, you know, have self-injurious behaviors where they might, you know, bite their hand or hit their head or try to attack somebody else. But it's all based on the fact that they can't communicate what they want to say or what they want to do. And so giving them a way to communicate really helps in a lot of situations reduce those behaviors, reduce those frustrations, because now they're able to tell other people what they couldn't prior. So it's it's really great to see how something like technology can really benefit children um, communicate. And I, you know, I obviously read a lot of stuff about autistic kids, and I've read books, you know, that date from their perspective and things they've written. And so many of the kids have said, you know, one of their first things they wrote out on an iPad or whatever when they were given that was, I can hear what you're saying. (laughs) Because as parents, and I even do this with Dawson, who's verbal, but it just seems like he's not paying attention. We just talk about them right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And they take in so much more than we realize. Definitely. Um, uh, yeah. That's so funny you say that because Jackson every now and then like just doesn't just chooses not to talk. Like you, we know he can say the words, but when you said when when Jen when you said like you know what he's saying, but everyone else doesn't. Whenever we did the evaluations, they're like, "Well, how does he communicate?" And I'm like, I, "I, I don't know." Like I couldn't ever <laughs> answer it because it's always like I just knew what he meant with the grunt, I guess. I guess he grunts yeah. points. Like, I guess mm-hmm. it just, mm-hmm. no. And now that he has a lot of the words and he just chooses not to because it's in the morning and he just decides not to talk for the first 10 minutes, which I can't blame him. He hasn't had a cup of coffee, whatever, right? <laughs> he, like, charades. Like, he will charade a whole sentence. And I'm just like, no one understands this but you and I. We should totally go on the charade circuit and we would kill it. <laughs> But it's just, it's it's interesting just how you just you just default to your momness of like this is yeah. what they know, you know, but then you're not giving your kid everything, like the opportunity to be able to communicate with their peers or communicate with the babysitter or communicate yeah. with anybody else. Like that's because we just let kid. them say it the way that they would without making them say it the real way. Like oh, yeah. I, I'm guilty of that with Dawson because I'm like, oh, I know what you want. And then if, if his ABA therapist is there, they're like, wait. He needs to ask for it, you know. Right. Yeah. Dawson well, will speak in echolalia a lot, right? Where he's mm-hmm. like, um, 
quoting things that he's heard. Mm-hmm. So uh, he'll just start quoting some random thing and I'll know like, and I'll, I'll have to sit there for a second and I'll think, and I'm like, Oh, sorry. He's talking about this because you mentioned this and it reminded him of a story he saw about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can go back and read his mind and think this is where this came from. But yeah. I'm like, no, if you're not the person who knows all the shows he watches, you would have no way of knowing what he's talking about. Right, exactly. When we're looking at, you know, anticipating a child's need, obviously, as a parent, that's a huge skill. But at the same time, if we're always anticipating their needs and not giving them the opportunity to communicate what their needs are, then they're not going to. Because Mm -hmm. when you think about it, we're going to do the least amount of work that we need to. And even we do that as adults. So if a child knows that he just needs to point at the cookies in order to get a cookie, he has no reason to develop his verbal communication or his use of words. Um, and, you know, I, I will say that with a little asterisk that it, it might be necessary in the beginning stages to do that because a child might have difficulties communicating if there is a delay. However, if we're looking at growing that, it might be that instead of him, you know, just pointing, it might be that you're you know, pulling the cookies down and you're modeling the word for them. And maybe they use an approximation, which isn't exactly the word, but maybe they say like, huh, well, great. Now they just have an association or approximation for that item. And now they get the cookie. Then it might be after they've done cook for a little while. Now maybe we're working on growing it and now we're working on cookie, you know, and then all of a sudden after they've been doing cookie, well, guess what? Now we have to say, eat cookie or want cookie so it's a matter of not looking at like I'm making my child do work for their basic needs it's like no you're giving them the opportunity to grow their language and be more successful in communicating with you so obviously it's great to be able to anticipate a child's needs but at the same time we need to give them those opportunities to use their language or to have to practice their language Because otherwise, you know, they might just be pointing and having you run around the room as their personal assistant versus actually using their communication skills. And of course, the last step would be get the cookie yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I was going to say, I do that with my neurotypical child who can speak just fine. But when my kids ask me for something, I just immediately get it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) You were perfectly capable of getting up and walking over there. In fact, you were closer to it <laughs> than I was. I did that with the girls. But yeah, all the have time. to break those habits. Want a pickle? Get it yourself. We're good. Yes, <laughs> get it yourself. Yep. I think this is my biggest downfall as a parent of a special needs kid, which is probably why I'm most critical of myself a little bit. Maybe um, I have lots of downfalls, lots of patience issue. But anyways, um, <laughs> I I lost my train of thought. I want to mark that too. It was something you were mad at yourself for, something that you're a terrible mom. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That you're going, yeah. About right. Anticipating their needs. Oh, doing things for them. Mm-hmm. Like the OT would oh, be yeah. like, well, can they bathe themselves? I'm like, I don't know. I never let him try. Like, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, or can he use scissors? I'm like, are you crazy? I'm going to give this kid scissors? No. Like, I haven't done that yet. But I have to remember the like to keep pushing forward versus mm-hmm. me always mm-hmm. doing. Because it's just so easy. Like. He can't put his shoes on, but I'm not going to spend 15 minutes when we're trying to get out the door to put his shoes on, you know? So it's that balance of, like, doing a couple things that I can focus on versus, like, all of it. Because when you add all the therapies together, 
it's a lot. Like it's, if you're as a speech therapist asking me to work on a couple things and then the OT is asking me to work on a couple things and then the, you know, the PT is asking me to work on a couple things. And then I have the behavior mm-hmm. therapist who wants me to ask, like all of a sudden I'm trying to juggle 12 different things to work on. And I'm like, and I still have to cook dinner and do my unpreferred task of laundry and all these other things that it's like, it, it's just not going to get done. You know? Right. And I think Patty, I think you mentioned something really beneficial for all parents to realize is there has to be a balance. So when I'm, you know, making these suggestions or when I'm talking about speech and language development and a parent's role and how beneficial it is for them to give their children opportunities throughout the day, it can sound very stressful for parents to have to think that they're having to work on this every second of the day with their child, which in the beginning is by no means the expectation. I always tell parents, let's take, first of all, let's look at your daily routine. So I don't want to give you more work outside of what you're already doing during the day. Let's pick one activity or one part of your daily routine that you're doing every single day. And let's think of you practicing specific vocabulary words or specific directions or specific speech sounds. Um, And let's think of how you can incorporate that into that daily routine. Now, all of a sudden, you're just thinking about working on speech during that activity or that daily routine. And then once you feel comfortable with that daily routine or with practicing those skills, then then you can grow to other parts of your day. But to think that you as a parent all of a sudden have to be working on vocabulary or all these things every second of the day, it's just too much. And I want to take some of that pressure off of you. So it might be that you're working on um, your child just getting his shoes, to follow the direction to get the shoes before running out the door. It might be that you're working on um, cutting scissors. Maybe you guys do an art activity during the day, and maybe that's when you think about working on those fine motor skills or working on cutting. Or maybe you're working on um, putting clothes on for some of those motor development skills. So maybe instead of doing it in the morning when you're rushing out the door, it just doesn't feel like you have enough time. Maybe you're working on it before bedtime. So maybe you're working on getting dressed for bed versus getting dressed to run out the door to school. So I think it's a matter of also just kind of like picking times during the day where it seems feasible for you as an adult to keep your sanity, but also be able to give your child functional opportunities to work on whatever skills they need. That makes a lot of sense because there's no way I can do 12, but there is a way I can add it to my already routine, you know? I never even thought about, about him doing it at night. I always think clothes in the morning. I'm like, Oh, you're brilliant, Jen. I should have put his pajamas on. Like, that was really funny to me because I never thought that it has to, I always think it has to be in the morning. That's really funny. Yeah, well, so, you know, in, in addition to speech therapy, I was previously telling both of you that I also do parent coaching. So when I'm doing parent coaching, you know, I'm working with parents who have normally developing children, but they just aren't sure how to work on, you know, language to help their child achieve or how to work on their child's vocabulary during their daily routine. Um, but parent coaching is also beneficial for their parents who have children who do have delays. But the, what I really focus on 
is let's look at things that you could do during your daily routine and let's make a list of the different words you can work on, of the different phrases you can work on, of the different directions they can be following, of the different comprehension skills. And I feel like that, when they have that list and they can go off of that list, makes it a lot easier. So, Holly, I know that you briefly just mentioned fast time. It might be that if you're working on, um, you know, opposites with your child or you're working on compositions with your child, it might be that maybe instead of just turning the water on and letting it run and fill up the tub, it might be like, oh, we're going to turn on. Oh, now the water's off. What do I have to do? Oh, I have to turn it on. Oh, guess what? Now it's off. So all of a sudden we're working off and on. It might be that you have different toys that the child plays with. So we can work on labeling the toy and guess what? It goes in the bathtub. So now we put each toy in, we're working on prepositions. So, you know, it can be that you can work on language during an activity that your child does every day, which is extremely beneficial because if you're doing it on a daily basis, it's all the more exposure to specific words, specific targets, specific areas that your child needs to develop further on a daily basis, which really helps with your child understanding when they can use those words and it gives them more exposure to those words too. So I'm like super passionate about it. So I'll get off <laughs> my soapbox now. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I think that's a really good tip to give to give parents that it's like, you don't need to create extra work for yourself. Just incorporate exactly what your goals are or whatever to into what you're already doing. And then yes. I think if I find it l- really less overwhelming going, Oh, you know what? Like I, I'm already seeing where Jackson's routine is and going, well, I can really work on certain things with like his snack, you know, like him mm-hmm. getting the bowl and getting yeah. the snack out and so, doing all this stuff that I normally do myself, but he's hell of a lot motivated because he's hungry, you know? Right. So, and I mean, you, you just addressed another area of language we look at is sequencing. So a child being able to know what comes next. So it could be as simple as a child being able to learn like, first we do this, then we do this, or it might be, you know, multi-step. So it might be, First, we get the bowl out, then we get out the milk, then I have to pour the cereal, then I eat. So, you know, all of those things that we're doing on a daily basis, we're always, there are always language opportunities, which is what I tell parents. It's just a matter of being able to see those opportunities and then in turn working on them. And then not being stressed that you have to do it all the time. Because I I sit there and look at the, Mm -hmm. Jackson gets 30 hours of ABA therapy. And I sit there and look at what they do with them. And I'm like, but if that was my only job, then maybe I could do it. But it's not my only job. So I have to find that balance of being able to mimic what they're doing, you know, and learn from how they're approaching him and whatnot so I can use it what works. But also not beat myself up because I still have to do laundry. I still have to cook. I still have to tend to the other two kids and the husband and the dog and a cat and all the, you know, the stuff. Okay, so... Not changing directions, but changing directions, but not changing directions. What's, like, the one thing you see parents, like, give themselves the most grief over, like, or struggle the most with that you just kind of go, dude, it's all right? Like, I mean, kind of just reviewing over our whole conversation that we just had, I think a lot of parents put a ton of pressure on themselves for their child to be, quote, unquote, fixed overnight. So I think that by them understanding that this is a process and depending upon the areas of deficit, sometimes there um, can be gains made within one session. Sometimes it takes a few months in order to see it. But um, I think that 
having parents realize that if they are checking in with their speech therapist and they are kind of getting that feedback as far as what they're working on and what kind of progress is being made, then I think that that will kind of take some of the stress off of them and thinking that this is supposed to be done within a month or two. Because for some children, it's not. Some children are going to need a few years of therapy. Some children might only need like a few months of therapy. It really just depends. So I think taking some of that stress off of thinking that there's this imaginary timeline that they expect their child to be you know, graduated from speech from or cured by, I think will also kind of help them be able to respond to their child also because they're not stressed. So they're not putting that on their child. They're not putting their frustrations on their child of hoping or wishing that it would go faster. So I think that that probably would really help um, if that's answering your question. Totally is. On the flip side, what's something that we could be doing (laughs) more of? that like really does benefit the child that if we're going to have to focus on one thing we should. I mean, if you are seeing a professional such as a speech therapist or a behaviorist or an OT or a PT, my biggest thing is if we're giving you homework, it's for a reason. So (laughs) if, if you can follow through with that homework, then your child is going to make so much more progress. Believe me, like I can tell the parents that are working on things at home versus the ones that aren't just by the child walking in and me, you know, kind of doing an informal observation of the things we worked on last week. It's pretty obvious if a child's working on their, you know, speech homework, so to speak. Um, so if, if we give you something to do at home, it's not just because we think that it'd be nice for you to be able to, you know, interact with your child. It's because we really want to see your child make progress and to make progress, they need to be exposed to these specific targets and objectives more than just once or twice a week (laughs) so do your homework (laughs) on that note i want to apologize to all the speech therapists (laughs) ot's and pt's that jackson has had in the past of me not doing the homework as often as possible i actually ended up having a conversation with the three they all worked in one little unit in the very beginning and i was like look so-and-so gave me this and this and this and i had that conversation of like give me one and i'll do it and when it became simple and they gave me one, I ended up doing it because they were both, you know, mm-hmm. and like the speech therapist wants their speech therapist stuff done. And the OT thought theirs was the most important. And then the PTs like wanted me to stretch him every single night for 30 minutes. And I'm like, sorry, can't. So, but I also I do realize I need to apologize to you guys as I didn't do as much as I could because I'm tired. So. But you know what? I think that that is also a really great point is you feel free to be realistic with the professionals that you're working with. So if you feel like, you know, they have given you too much to do, then ask for them to make it a little easier for you to implement at home or to give you a little less to implement at home. You know, if they know that you are actively wanting to support your child by working on this homework, they will go above and beyond to make it as easy as possible for you. So I, you know, I think it is, beneficial for you to understand that this is a professional they're the expert but at the same time like there should be a dialogue between you and your speech therapist or you and your occupational therapist you should feel comfortable enough to um you know respond with i don't know if i have time to do that at home can you make it a little easier or simplify it or 
I really don't understand what this means or how is this relating to his overall areas of need? So I think those are all really great questions to ask because if you're not understanding how that goal or that target or that homework is benefiting your child, then you're going to be less likely to want to work on it. But if you have a better understanding of why you're doing these things, then I think that it will make it easier and more fulfilling for you to help support your child in those things that are being suggested to you. You made a really good point in that because I have, there's many a times where I've had to stop the OT or the speech therapist and say, wait, 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 what's CVC? Oh, that's <laughs> consonant vowel con. Okay. You know, because like I, it's not a, not an acronym I'm used to, you know? So it's like you have yeah. to, or the, the OT will be like proceoceptive. I'm like, wait, 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 which one is that again? Like there's yeah. a different, which one are we working on? So that's a really good point to be able to like have conversation to clarify because if you do know the why, then I'm more likely to do it. And then if you tell me an area I can do it, then maybe I can see, and I see the why, then maybe I can see that in other areas of, okay, you know, I can work on it in this one too, if we're working on prepositions of in, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, and that goes, you know, in all areas, not only like once you're in therapy, but also, you know, if you've been given an initial assessment and either it's, you know, the assessment paperwork is sent to you or the professional is going over it with you, ask questions. If you don't understand, feel free to ask for clarification or ask about what something means or how this is going to benefit your child. Um, Same goes for when you're sitting in an IEP meeting. So if your child is getting services at school or if you're sitting in the initial IEP meeting and you don't understand what's being told to you, by all means, stop the meeting and ask them to clarify so that you as a parent can have a better understanding of what they're trying to focus on in that school setting for your child to make progress. You, in especially in the IEP meeting, you are part of the team. So it's not just the teacher, it's not just the administrator, it's not just the um, speech therapist, but you are an active part of that team. So you, by all means, can speak up with your opinion on what's being suggested. You can ask for clarification anytime. If you don't think a goal is appropriate, by all means, bring it up and have that discussion. This is your child, and you play just as much of an active role in that team as every one of the other professionals. Yes. I feel like so many parents feel like the school knows better because they do this all the time. But in reality, you're the expert on your kid. Like, they may be the expert in speech. They may be expert in, you know, sped ed or whatever. But you're the expert on your kid. And so you need to speak up for your kid kind of thing. You're right. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's so funny because it's like I look at who I was when, I, when Jackson first got diagnosed. And it was, like, kind of crazy because all these things are being thrown at you. And now I'm like – OTPT CVC did it you know like I know all these like <laughs> I know the difference between expressive and receptive language but like it's because I've been with him for five years and now I I've learned by asking questions and like his goals changing and whatnot but like you guys know it from the get-go because y'all went to school for it so it's like it's not it's, we're not stupid for asking these questions we're just wanting to know what's going on with our child and eventually you'll know a lot because that's the only way that's you have no other way you'd start learning all this crap because you have to (laughs) that was good definitely Jen we appreciate you so much for taking the time and just giving us kind of like a lowdown of everything and just talking us through some things and like it's been very beneficial like I appreciated it so 
much. And yet, because mm-hmm. you do everything, like literally you do everything, my mind is blown how much everything you do, we're definitely going to have more questions and more things. So what's a good way for people to get a hold of you, for lack of a better way, if they have another question they want to ask you or something that pertains to their child or they want to use your services or whatnot if they're in the L.A. area? Yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. My website is tinytalkspeechtherapy.com. If you wanted to check out my Instagram, I do post different suggestions for parents. I post about different like developmental milestones. Um, so that's just tinytalk.slp. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I have like different videos for parents. So you can just search Tiny Talk speech therapy so all those are great ways to either get in contact with me or just find more information out there about speech and language therapy that's perfect okay i'm pretty sure hey. people are going to question you yeah no problem. <laughs> I'm happy to answer questions well thank you so much jen we miss you yes i know i miss you both i'm so glad you, you we have you not only as a friend but as a wealth of knowledge you're like phenomenal mm-hmm. what you do and i'm glad that you're sharing god's gift that he's given to you with the world so i appreciate you and what you do oh uh, well thank you thanks for riding on the denial bus but your stop's coming up you're gonna have to get off get back to the real world life don't worry you got this